This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Kia ora, you're listening to the locals on Free FM 89.0. Ko Dan Armstrong, The Anglican Church has been a part of the Te Aumotu community for about 180 years now, and Old St. John's is the oldest building in the region. But I was curious to see what things are like in the present, so I caught up with the head of the local parish. Just a heads up, we'll be discussing sexual abuse within the broader Anglican Church, in the second half of this and I'll flag that again when we get to that piece. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals and this is Reverend Julie Guest. I doubt it's an ad on seek.co.nz. How do they advertise for reverends? So we have um, an in-house news sheet with dials each, each group of Anglican churches is grouped together geographically in what's called a diocese, and the diocesan information comes out for jobs within the, each diocese, yeah. but they also advertise cross-diocese. So I was in the Diocese of Waipu. I was um, acting, I was being a missioner. I was called to be a missioner in Papamoa, which is a really fast-growing area of Tauranga, and I absolutely loved that role, but... The Diocese of Waipu had been offered a brand new funeral parlour as a building to work out of. It was a beautiful building. And it was it was wonderful in the sense that it was a great gathering place. But it was not wonderful for the, for the new immigrants that were coming into that area, for whom a place of death was not a place to gather mm. and then do other things. So I was really struggling to do the work that I felt called to do there. So that was a challenge. I run a thing called Messy Church, which I'd also like to talk about at some time, at some point. But I was at Messy Church, and um, one of one of the people who came there was the ex-vicar of Cambridge. And he said to me, Julie, have you seen the advertisement for a new vicar in Te Awamutu? And I said, no. And I wasn't even thinking about it. He said, well, I think you should look at it. I think you'd be it would be just right for you. So I had a look, and as I looked, I thought, oh. He's right, you know. And um, I was born in Hamilton, but I hadn't lived there. I've just visited mum and dad. So I looked to find out more about Tawamutu. I had never been here. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I just, on a Google search, learned so much and thought, I've got to come and look. So I did. And I happened to bump into Norris Hall, who was the ex-deacon um, de- um, here, he was here on Saturday afternoon and he showed us through Old St. John's and I went into Old St. John's. This is going to sound weird, but I just felt the Holy Spirit go over me. And I thought, I, okay, okay, I will apply, God, and you will do what you will do. And the story goes, and I don't know all the details because you don't when you apply, but the story goes that um, the people from the church were absolutely sure the moment I walked in that that was the right person, but the people from the diocese weren't so sure. So it was quite a long process while they worked it out. Because I've not ever been a vicar before. And this is a church 
this parish is a big parish and it's a lot of work and you really need someone with lots of experience. So it was a heck of a gamble when they took me on. But I've been in the church all my life and I've been in um, various different roles within the church, just not being the vicar. Out of curiosity, can you give me a, a sense of how big is your, would the word be parish, or yes. your, 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 the population yeah. that you serve? Well, this parish is um, a, bit, a bigger than normal because it covers the whole of Telemutu. It goes out to Pirongia, so that we have St. Saviour's Church in Pirongia, and up to Rangawafia Road, which is just north of, just on the way towards Cambridge. So whatever the population of Tiawamutu is, and outlying regions, that's the population that we serve in this area. Um and I don't know what that is. I don't know what the population is. Upwards of about 20,000. Yes, I think. I, I was going to say 24, and I thought that might be a bit much. On a Sunday, how big is the congregation that you get? No, the congregations are small now, yeah. partly because there's four churches, and so we divide across them. Our general congregation would be between 60 and 80 if we were all together now. Um, but because we're separate in four different places, you know, divide that by four, you 20-ish around about and only one of our churches the one at Parongia has children ha- regularly has children the children come to the other services but regularly we have them at Parongia yeah. uh, and uh, I'd be curious to know uh, thanks to Joanna about the weekly meal that the church here provides well a group of volunteers out of the church yeah. yes we actually provide more than one weekly meal, but one. But there's a couple of different aspects. So the community meal on a Monday is um, provided. It's a wonderful event because it's two different churches, two different denominations work together. So the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church work together. And they take um, a week on, week off, so no one gets exhausted. And it's a community meal that I think was initially, because it was before started before I came, initially aimed at working towards feeding the homeless, but it is always called a community meal, so it's not just for homeless people. And more and more people are coming in who are um, people who are perhaps lonely or people who have a heart for community and feel that, especially since COVID, but even before that, community is threatened by people not gathering. You know, And for Christians... Eating a meal together is absolutely the centre of what we do when, even when we gather to worship in church and we have what we call the Eucharist, which is a model of the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples the night before he died. So we believe that when we eat together, we're doing what Jesus calls us to do and, and modelled over and over. He didn't, just, he didn't just eat with them then, he ate with all sorts of people. And most of the people he ate with were the people that, nice society didn't like so he you know prostitutes and tax collectors who were the scum of the earth in those days so we don't say that we're eating with the scum of the earth but you know we're probably closer to the scum of the earth than the people that we eat with oh so you're not associating with the IID anymore we try not to (laughs) we do what's legally required (laughs) tax collectors are Um, raised somewhat in social status since then (laughs) (laughs) and out of curiosity sorry that that throwaway joke about the IRD sort of threw me off (laughs) no worries (laughs) Um, the the chatting with colleagues uh, and a couple of them have uh, parents and grandparents that attend uh, services 
here and in the border okay. Waikato, uh, they tell me you have a bit of a social conscience, uh, and that's already saying that's that that's well, that right. Yeah. Yeah, who would have thought that people are suggesting (laughs) that, yeah. Um, What are the social issues that are close to you? Uh, Oh, where do you start? I mean, the first thing that happened when I came here was I looked at the historic buildings, that there's two historic buildings here, and they are the first and second oldest buildings in the whole of Waikato that are still standing. So that's a huge financial burden on the parish, right? So you look at that and you think, okay, so... What is the purpose of the parish investing so much money in ancient buildings just because they're beautiful buildings? That's not what a church ought to be doing to me. Unless the buildings are doing something towards helping people understand and and know the message that Christ came to teach. So then I did as much reading as I could with what was available at the time around the history of these buildings and um, discovered how important they are in in helping people understand the message of peace and the message of justice. And so organising a pilgrimage across our parish so that people could hear that story became very much the focus for the first part of my ministry here. And that means understanding, um, you know, that this land that we're on and right across the road, all the rose garden and the library and all the land across the road and all the land down that side as well. 26 acres in total initially were given to the um, Church Missionary Society for the purpose of um, a church, a church house, a school and a hospital was built as well by Bishop Selwyn. And um, that is why this church continues to exist because of that original generosity of Māori people. So then we have to look and see, so how has the church behaved towards the Māori people who gave this land? And I wouldn't say it was startlingly wonderful. It's not dreadful. It's not as dreadful as the rest of, not all dreadful. There are some dreadful aspects. Um, So yes, recognising the importance of what happened at Rangiwafia in particular and drawing this 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 parishes attention to it because until I came my understanding is that very few people knew the history um, and they weren't particularly interested because it's been their place forever and they just had no idea what had happened here so you can understand when someone new arrives and goes oh by the way you know (laughs) um, it wasn't at first easily received Um, But I think people are getting used to it. So you will have heard probably that we recently um, placed a portrait of Erehapiti Te Paia Potato in the church. Um, And that was with permission from um, the Kingitana, because she is obviously his tūpuna. Um, But it's because after the land war Rangiwafia and the constabulary had started on this land which was given by the church, when the army arrived, they camped on this land, which was given by Māori for the purpose of spreading the message of Christ's peace. So the army comes and camps on the land, the enemy, you know, on the land that was gifted. I mean, you just can't imagine how ghastly that must have been. And then um, the the army came to church, and Reverend Morgan, who was the missioner here, missionary, who had been um, tending to his flock, of Māori, you know, very happily he spoke Māori. He'd started the school and he was held in high regard 
Well, then when the when the Pakeha came, he was also their priest, of course. You know, so they came to church, which meant the Māori didn't come to church. And then he was caught, I think, much more awkwardly than most people recognise, because he was required by Queen Victoria to tell the Pakeha troops what the Māori were planning. And, of course, he knew what they were planning because they were his parishioners too. And so he betrayed them to the army to, to say what they were, what their plans were. So to Māori, that is... You know, that's an unforgivable thing to do. I don't think he had... I don't think there was something, anything he could do that was right. I don't think what he did was right. But I don't think if, he, if he'd not told that that would have been right either, if that makes any sense, because one way or another he was betraying somebody. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what he could have done that was right. Anyway, that's what happened. So... Māori never came back to the church that they had gifted the land for, they had gifted the trees for, they had gifted the labour for, and they would raised most of the money to have the church built. They never came back to it. And they wanted to burn it down after Rangiwafia. And it was only because Princess Sophie, or Irahapiti Te Paiapototo, put her mana on it and asked them to leave it alone, that it still stands. So we owe it to her, that church, still. And Pākehā have been gaily worshipping in it ever since. So part of the social justice, from my point of view, is to get alongside um, the Māori mission and say, what can we do to put this right? How do we do that? What do you need? How can we help? And I don't think it's right for us to say, well, we will vacate so you can take over, because apart from anything else, that would only get people's backs up the other way, if you see what I mean. But I do think that we have to be willing to say working in partnership will, will cost us because we've been used to having lording it over this place, um, all of this parish, and it needs to be shared. So how can we do that? You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. In the second half of this conversation, we'll be discussing a few different things, but immediately I'll be asking about sexual abuses that occurred within, within faith-based institutions. If you need to skip ahead, come back in five minutes, and if you need to talk to someone, there's a National Safe to Talk helpline, 0800 044 334. I struggle with exactly how to approach this. Um... But the reality is, on top of the way that uh, the Anglican Church uh, has treated the early resources that Māori gifted it, um, there have been many decades of sustained abuse against children and its care. And I'm conscious, as someone, you know, as as you're an individual, was pointed out. You know, a part of your career in the church has been about supporting youth. Um, how do you reconcile that reality with your faith? Um, I'm not aware of many decades. I mean, I, yeah, okay. I just think wherever you look where children are taken away from parents, which often happens, you will find abuse wherever wherever you go, whatever place in the world it happens. Um, I think the connection of a parent to a child is far, far stronger than people recognise. When it's the 
when it's the parent's DNA that's in the child, not a stepchild or whatever. I think that's different. In terms of priests abusing children, um, I, I personally am not aware of the details, and I'm sorry if I haven't researched that adequately. Um, but I do know that Bishop Philip was talking about not that long ago um, in a casual situation because it hasn't all been released to us at this point. Um, he said, "Let he said something along the line. Let me be clear. This is this was sustained abuse of the worst kind. This is what he was talking about a particular example." And because of that, the church has put in very, very strict codes um, for how we must all behave. And that, and, and that makes perfectly good sense, but it's very, very difficult to live with. And, the, you know, I mean, it's the law, it's, it's putting laws in to stop the worst behaviours, which I totally understand and endorse. Yeah, so I would say any abuse is wrong. It, you know, it's, it's, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. I don't know what else you want. It's wrong and it shouldn't happen. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know, with that reality of, of knowing that there has been a, abuse within the organisation, with, within uh, the Anglican Church, has, has that challenged your faith in the Church? No, because it's not faith in the Church, it's faith in God. Um, and the problem is that people outside a Church see people as churchgoers as making a declaration that they are in some way saintly. (laughs) And being a Christian is not about, um, it's about being on a journey towards being Christ-like. And yes, it's absolutely not okay to be abusing children and somebody that's in the church, especially someone who's declared themselves to be a priest, has no business. I mean, no one has. You know, I mean, it's, it's just an anathema and they need to be got rid of and removed from any situation where that could ever happen again. But in terms of does it challenge my faith in the God that I love and believe in? No, not at all. Um, people will always let you down. They let God down. They stuck Christ on a cross, you know. So it's not, it's, you just have to look for the best in people and hope and trust that it will turn up. Um, but when somebody does something wrong, there is always, always the other side. I don't believe anyone. I don't believe there is even even a sexually abusing priest is utterly evil. I believe the action is utterly evil. But I believe within that person, there will be wonderful components as well. And obviously the evils overcome the wonderfulness at that time. But that person is still retrievable rescuable, never ever to be put in a situation again, never to be trusted in that role again, never ever to be allowed in any position where they are guiding or leading anybody again, but redeemable nevertheless. I'd like to move forward to the, the future of the church. The uh, church as a whole? Oh, sorry, this, this, this parish, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want to... <laughs> made you figure out the entire thing. That's, that would that, just be cruel. Um, uh, but I'm conscious you mention uh, you know, a, a dwindling uh, congregation. Uh, you've got, you know, there are increased costs. I don't know if you've had to earthquake strengthen. It's been uh, earthquake the old, strengthened in, yeah. the, in the previous century. Yeah, and that 
that certainly wouldn't be cheap, and I imagine there's upkeep, and as, yes. as you mentioned, there's a whole heap of costs. Um, what is the future for the local parish? Um, I think this parish will change considerably in the next probably 10 years, partly because most of the congregation is 70 plus, probably, to be honest, most of it's 80 plus, and then there are a number of 70 plus, and then a number of 60 plus, and then some younger ones. Um, but I don't think that matters at all. I think if you if you'd had your eyes open since the 70s or 80s in New Zealand, you would see that um, if you were light on your feet as a church, you would have you would have moved and changed. And I've been part of parishes that have had quite a different approach than this one has for many years. And I think this one, because it's in a rural parish where the rest of the world sort of hasn't caught up to to a degree, um, it's only just now. Catching up? Yes, facing the same facts that other places have had to. Um, so I see the future as being quite different. For example, I run, we started a thing called Messy Church here, mm. and Messy Church is um, an international organisation, non-denominational, though it was started in the Anglican Church, the Bible Reading Fellowship in England. Um, I don't know how many churches are part of it, or how many there are, a couple of years ago, there were over 5,000, but I think it's just grown and grown ever since then. But Messy Church is church. It's about worshipping God, but it's about doing it not by sitting still and being spoken to, or even with a rah-rah band, you know, because churches moved from kind of singing hymns to having guitars and, and drums and thinking that was going to solve all the problems, and I don't think, I never thought it was going to. I enjoyed guitars and drums as a change, but that wasn't going to be the answer for me. I think... As a teacher, I think that old church, um, the kind that we have here mostly, only acknowledges a very narrow band of learning styles and of personality types. It's all auditory, almost all auditory. So people who you know can listen, it works for. And people who are contemplative and meditative, it can work for. But people who are kinesthetic and need to have hands-on I don't think it works for at all. I don't think it ever has. But also, the current generation's brains work differently. They are no longer auditory. They are they are visual, and that's completely trackable. Telling the person who has a radio show. <laughs> some, sorry. some exceptions apply. <laughs> okay, okay. So I think the future of the church is more like Messy Church, but I don't think that's the only future. I mean, Messy Church involves a meal as well. And I think that future is, the future of the church is built around hospitality. So it's built around eating together. Um, so that's why I think the community meal is so important. Messy Church, the meal is really important. So we do the activities. We have what we call a celebration, which is about 15 minutes long, where the story of the Bible that we're talking about is either reenacted or retold in some way. And it's not all—it's not all told from the expert at the front. It's um, Jesus told the stories, but he inv he involved other people reflecting on it. So we involve we we do a bit of that, and then we have a meal together. And on the table there are usually um, um, what do we call them? Meal? Hmm, can't remember. They're questions to reflect on. Yeah. That that just help you to think more about the experience that you've had that day or that evening. So I think 
more and more those kinds of things will become what church is about. The other thing I think that's wonderful about Messy Church that this style of church has got wrong for so long is that Messy Church is actively intergenerational. And, excuse me. Um, mainline churches have divorced generations from each other in their worship styles. So kids have been sent out to Sunday school. I was sent out to Sunday school as a kid. By 10, I was teaching in the Sunday school you know, because they needed so, there were so many kids. Um, and that probably helped me, you know, the whole belonging thing about belonging. I think because you, my, I had a contribution to make, I felt like I belonged. And I think we haven't asked people to contribute their own gifts and talents adequately in churches before. So they've been receivers of ministry. They've turned up, sat down, shut up, listened, received, and tootled off, you know, ticked the box. And I, I don't think that makes disciples. If you're going to make disciples, you have to have them being active and involved. They have to feel that their contribution is welcome, whatever contribution it might be, whatever gift or talent they bring. And then they belong. And then they, they have somewhere to invite others to. And that's what makes the church grow. And at the end of these... Uh, sort of profile interviews I generally ask a handful of questions just to get your your first response okay um, you can try <laughs> yeah don't, don't worry it's, it's nothing scandalous <laughs> what inspires you God's creation the world I mean I'm a greenie an utter greenie you never ask me about any of those things but cricket church is another I, I'm a cricket farmer for example <laughs> As you foster black caps, or are you ta no, talking about the bugs? I'm talking about the bugs. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Crickets are, um, I believe, a way ahead for managing nutritional needs of billions of people that we're going to come across. They require 1% of the water that a cow does, to or an animal does, to produce protein, and they have 66% more protein by gram for gram than beef does. Out of curiosity then, have you offered any of your congregants yes, some a of them. Yes, and they've eaten them. Okay. Some of them have, not, not all of them. What was the last thing that made you laugh? I laugh a lot. Um, I just can't remember. We've laughed since we've been here. <laughs> not with, you know, not belly laugh. Oh, I think the last time, last thing was somebody commented the other day about um, the laughing policeman. Okay. So I asked somebody what we were talking about, what sort of music we had at parties, and someone said the laughing policeman, and that rem reminded me that piece of music. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last thing that made you cry? Yesterday, I was helping somebody with um, breastfeeding a child and listening to her story, mm. how difficult it was. Uh, do you have a piece of advice for your younger self? Yes. <laughs> you can do these things. Just get on and do them. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. It's clear that the Anglican Church isn't perfect. In fact, at times it has been detrimental to people. But it's good that things are being done to recognise and improve the situation. If you want to learn more about the government's Royal Commission into Abuses by State and Faith-Based Care, you can do that at abuseincare, all one word, .org.nz. 
and if you wish to speak to someone about sexual harm, you can reach Safe to Talk at 0800 044 334. And as we mentioned earlier, if you want to come to the community kai, all are welcome, and that's every Monday, 4.30pm, down at the Anglican Church. We'll be back again next Monday at 11am. But until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Haerera. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.